We've all been raised on television to believe that one day we'd all be millionaires and movie gods and rock stars. But we won't. We're slowly learning that fact. And we're very, very pissed off. Slowly being reintroduced back into society. Uh, this is what it's like when you come back from Max FunCon. Uh, it's a it's a it's a summer camp for adults, and then it's the crushing blow of reality. Uh, so I am taking the day off after Max FunCon to try and uh, ease myself back into society. I am at home again uh, after spending. Uh, another lovely time with the great Alexis Perplexus that you have seen uh, and the on the best of UGTV pilot that we made a hundred years ago. Uh, so, um, boy, let's let's just get into it. Uh, there's no music right now. I'm gonna add some in the in the later. Uh, maybe just some classical thing of my brother, just because I think it sounds better when there's noises in the background. Uh, so. Let's start off with air travel. So first of all, this starts, this mayhem starts all the way back to when I actually booked the tickets. Uh, I I was using Travelocity and I said, I want to go to Burbank. And you know, the the problem that I had made the previous year when I flew was I said, I want to go on Virgin. And then I flew, but you know, Virgin only flies into LAX and LAX is a nightmare. So that got all screwed up. So I said, okay, forget that. I don't care what airline I'm gonna go. I want to go to Burbank because Burbank is this very nice, small, manageable airport, you know, very simple. So I, you know, I told Travelocity, I want to go to Burbank. And it was like, great, here are some cheap airfares. I went, great, and I booked it. And then I guess somewhere along the line, when it was suggesting cheap airfares to me, it uh, gave me uh, Long Beach. Oh, okay, I guess, you know. So, of course, you know, there's no changing it. There's no modifying it. It's like, you know, you got this cheap price because you said you would do it. And, um, you know, the Long Beach is now two hours away from where I need to be as opposed to half an hour away from where I need to be. Uh, so, great. Well, this that's the first part of it. Fun. Off to a bad start. And then, of course, because I'm now two hours away... I did not realize the uh, departure time should have been um, like uh, different, uh, you know, going home because now I've got to like race out of there because now I've got, you know, three times the amount of commute, four times, four times. I know it was four times. <laughs> All right. You can't fool me. Four times the commute to get out of there than uh, when it was a half an hour. So, okay, so we're already, we're already, we're already screwed up. So then I get to, no, I don't, I, I'm, I'm at home the day of the flight with like a couple of hours to go. I get an email from Travelocity. Oh, hey, guess what? They've moved your flight back. So you, it was going to be five. Now it's seven. Uh, okay, great. So then I pack up, I get to the airport. Oh, sorry, it's a little foggy. We're having some delays. So it's not going to be seven now. Now it's going to be nine. Oh, okay. Oh, it's not going to be nine. It's going to be ten. Ten. Okay. And, you know, I didn't even think of it. You know, Los Angeles, I just, hey, let's, yeah, let's do some of that. Yeah. Los Angeles is so close. Uh, I just assumed, oh, you know, what it's what, what difference does it make? You know, it's only like an hour or something flight. No big deal. So then I get there. Um, well, and then, and, and so I uh, usually stay the night with uh, Alexis Perplexus. So um, I, you know, it was just so late. I was like, Ugh, I, I don't want to drive the two hours from Long Beach to his place where I need to be. 
So anyway, and, and, and now, you know, now I'm doing the math and it's going to be midnight and then it's, it's going to be 2 a.m. And, you know, when I get there and I'm just like, no, 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 no. Uh, I'll, and then I was like, OK, I'll just get a cheap hotel. And then I was like, you know what? Screw that. Let's, 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 you know, let's, I don't know. I don't know what's happened to me lately, but I've gotten into this thing of like, let's try and game the system. Let's try and do crazy shit. Uh, let's screw, forget staying in a hotel. Let's just sleep in our car. Let's just find a parking lot somewhere. Let's be bad. Let's be dirty. Oh yeah. Let's get dirty and sleep in our car, even though we're not supposed to do that. Yeah. So I land, get out, like the, the Long Beach, lovely airport. Not near anything, but a lovely airport. I walk, you know, to the used car place. It's right there. Much better than LAX. Oh no, they're closed. It's midnight. Those fuckers went home at 10.30. Okay. All right, so now, well, screw that idea. I guess I have to stay in a hotel now because even if I wanted to drive, I cannot. Okay, okay, fine, fine. So then uh, I get a cab and I'm I'm just Googling like crazy, like, okay, well, where can I stay? Where, where What are my options? So I find the cheapest, closest hotel because, right, because now, now we're starting to get all a bunch of extra fees that we hadn't really uh, considered, and it's fine. Look, I can afford it. Uh, if I do not get fired or laid off from my job, which may very well likely happen very, very soon, uh, it's fine. It's no big whoop. But uh, I, um, eh, we'll talk about that later, maybe in another episode. Uh, and so if, uh, so now there's more fees, right? More, more things to pay for that I didn't see coming, like the cab fare to the hotel. And now I got to get a hotel room and now I've got to get another ride back. And, uh, boy, I don't understand why anybody takes cabs anymore if you don't absolutely have to, because, you know, you've got Lyft. Um, I refuse to do Uber, but, uh, uh, you know, it's an option, and it's so much cheaper. So much cheaper, right? Like, I think it was, you know, $15 when I did the lift versus, like, almost $30 when I did the cab. So, uh, so anyway, so I, I choose the cheapest, closest place. Now, here's the thing. Uh, oh, I, I should say, okay, so I get to the place, and... The guy says to me, um, oh, uh, the credit card machine is broken, uh, cash only. All right, fine. So, I mean, I'm not, I don't carry a lot of cash with me. I mean, you, the thing, I, the only thing I use cash for is uh, to get gas at the Arco down the street because it's cheaper. Other than that, like, I'm not a big cash guy. Like, I do everything on credit. So, amazingly enough, the room was $65, I had $69. So I had $4 to my name. So I I pay the guy, and the thing, you know, you wonder like, what's the big difference between a nice hotel and a shitty hotel? Um, I can tell you uh, one thing is uh, the mini fridge is extremely loud and just keeps, you know, turning on and off all through the night. Okay, great. That's easy to do. I'll just unplug that. Great. Um, the pipes make a tremendous racket when being used. Okay, that's not so bad. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's um, you know, it's only, uh, you know, it's only when people are showering or flushing the toilet. So, you know, in the middle of the night, as long as nobody gets up to do anything, you're cool. And there's only 12 units in this place. So, okay, there's not a ton of people. Uh, although it was funny, when the guy showed me the room, the first thing he did was flip on uh, the TV. And it was, you know, a decent volume. But, it, I mean, I'm sure everybody else in there was like, what the hell are you doing? Turn off the TV. It's like... 12.30 at night, turn off the TV. Because, of course, I didn't know how paper-thin the walls were because everybody was asleep. But that guy didn't seem to know and or care. Um, uh, he was just like, yeah, fuck it, TV on. I'm awake, so should everybody else be. I don't know. I don't know what was going through his head. 
So, uh, yeah, so now there's another uh, bizarre, weird uh, factor to this already. Oh, my God, I forgot. So then um, people, when they fly, uh, I am pretty sure just lose their goddamn minds. Uh, I don't want to sound like a hacky uh, air, uh, air comedian. That's right, an air comedian from the 80s. But it's, I think, I mean, to me, the, the craziest part is the security line because people feel like it's some sort of race. And I think they, uh, what I, my guess is, I don't really know, is that they feel pressure. Oh, let me hit that again. Pressure from the people behind them, right? Because it's a huge line and you don't want to be that guy that's slowing down the line. But what they're, you know, instead of looking behind them, they should be looking in front of them to be like, oh, the in front of me isn't moving either. So what's the rush? What's the race? So there was this family of four behind me and um, uh, they, the you know, I'm standing there. There's no... Oh, no, this is what happened. The woman behind me grabbed three buckets, the last three buckets, and she's holding on to them. And so I'm like, hey, I say, say, I say to the security guy, I'm like, hey, we don't have any buckets over here to like, put my junk in. He's like, oh, okay, and he's coming over. And then she starts like throwing her buckets down on the conveyor belt. And I'm like, uh, hang on a second here. And she's like, oh, oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were already done. And I'm like, I'm just getting started. And it was like, of course, you know, I didn't. I, I, I did nothing, right? My shoes are on. My bag is still packed. There's no, there's, there's no buckets. Like how, you took all the buckets. How would I have done anything, lady, crazy lady? So then we get through that line out the other side and they are carrying, this family of four behind me are carrying two violin cases. The teenage boy, the older one, immediately upon like you know getting over to that station where you put your shoes on unzips the violin case and starts tuning it like this is a level of OCD that I don't I like that just I can't even comprehend and I'm just like oh bummer sorry kiddo you now have your mom's craziness because clearly your mom's crazy the bucket freak and now you are crazy too oh bummer sorry sorry dude oh well you know and then finally i think the dad was like yeah okay this is not the place to do this and i was just sort of like okay i get you want your violin to be in tune but it's gonna go out of tune right like that's just the way it goes you will have to tune that thing again wherever you're going whatever competition you're in like there is no value in tuning it now uh, you know, you're, you're gonna have to twist those pegs no matter what. And you can't even, you can barely even hear it, right? Like, you know, we're in this airport and there's noise and there's music going on. He's just there. Just like, what are you doing, dude? I get it. You're crazy. There's no reasoning with a crazy person. So, tough luck. There you go. You're nuts. Okay, so uh, let's talk about um, the, uh, the the Max Fun Con itself. Uh, so, fine. Oh, I should just say, I wake up the next morning. I go back to the rental car agency. I get my car. I drive two hours, and then we drive another two and a half hours to Lake Arrowhead, California. So, uh, Max Fun Con itself. Uh, John Hodgman. Uh, always does the the uh, you know the song that start you know he does a little you know, he plays some tunes on the ukulele to uh, you know welcome everybody we all drink Malort which is the nastiest alcohol on the face of the earth I mean it really tastes like gasoline and not only does it taste like gasoline but the the taste of it gets worse the longer just the longer it is like you can you can just fire it into your mouth, swallow it immediately, and still 
the awfulness, the taste just hangs around and it, it, it gets in, it just gets, and it gets worse and worse. It is the strangest thing. I think you can only find it in Chicago and um, nobody knows why it exists. It's just terrible. Uh, but anyway, so, so Hodgman uh, gets up there and he says, well, you know, bad news. I have prepared nothing new. So you are going to hear the same old things. What I wished I, what I tried to do was uh, learn the theme to welcome back Cotter on the ukulele. But, uh, you know, I couldn't get it together in time. So uh, maybe uh, by, you know, this is Friday, right? He's doing this. He says, well, maybe by Sunday I'll have it worked out. And I was like, okay, well, good luck to you. So, uh... And I think it's funny, too, because he's doing the theme to... I mean, Welcome Back... So, Welcome Back, Connor, to me... I, I thought about this all weekend. To me, may have the most depressing theme song of any theme song ever, right, for television. Because the theme song is basically... Um, you tried to get out of this horrible neighborhood, but you could not. You know, your dreams were your ticket out. That's the lyric. You could not do that. And now you are back. Sucks to be you. Uh, and, you know, it's the most not hopeful song, right? Like, there are other songs that are terrible, too, like Good Times, you know. But at least the tune is peppy, right? It's happy. It's like, woo, here we go. But no... No, not this. This is a dirge. Okay, you know what? That's what I'm going to do for next episode. Next episode, we're talking TV theme songs. And I'll, and I'll dust off Welcome Back, Cotter. And you can just hear how just, ugh, it is. Um, all right, so, uh, so the next day, we start doing classes. And... Um, the, the class I took first was memoir writing. And, um, I, I should say first, um, I, I try to, uh, well, um, you know, the, I always try to think of like, what can I do? What can I get out of a situation if I know I'm going to be there, right? Like, oh, if a celebrity is going to be there, I really like, you know, what could I say to them or what could I ask them? that, you know, this is my only chance, right? So this, all of Max Von Kahn, what I wanted to do was talk to the stand-up comedians that were going to be performing and ask them, like, what does it really mean to get better as a stand-up? Like, I understand like, when you play the guitar, it's like, oh, you know, the calluses builds up on your fingertips and you, you, you find it's easier to make your hands into those chord shapes that they need to be in and, you know, maybe their fingers, you know, reach a little farther or move a little faster. Okay, good. I am done listing all the things that make you good at guitar. All right, I know there are more. I know there are more. But that's, that's the limit. Uh, that's all you get. So, I, but, but stand-up comedy, stand-up comedy is just such an, a weird, elusive thing where, I mean, to me, it still doesn't make any sense, right? Because to me, it's like, oh, you're funny. Uh, I said a funny thing in a group of people. Uh, they laughed. I should be able to just take that and go on stage and then tell that in front of a different group of people. And then they all laugh. Nope. Nope. That is not the case. Uh, so anyway, so that was my big goal. And uh, so the first class I took was the memoir writing class. And this is a really... Uh, so the guy who taught it is Bucky Sinister. Bucky Sinister is an interesting guy because uh, I went to college with Bucky. I don't... Actually, I'm not sure if he went to college. I know he was there. I don't know if he actually took any classes or not. He might have. I don't know. So I got introduced to him in, what, 1993? So it's almost, you know, it is. No, wait, is it? It's 2017 and 93. No, okay, so it's not quite 25 years, but it's damn close. And so, you know, I saw him do a bunch of poetry stuff. And then um, a few years ago, Jordan Morris, uh, when his show got canceled, uh, he came up because Bucky had uh, rented out 
uh, space uh, called The Dark Room in San Francisco. It's a nice little uh, black box uh, theater. And um, he put on a show, a stand-up comedy show there every week with him and three other friends. And uh, I... I went to see him there, and that had been, you know, and that was, you know, 20 years after the fact. Oh, I interviewed, of course, you can read Bucky's interview on UGTV.org, and also we have uh, My Girlfriend is Way Cooler Than Wayne's, Wayne Gretzky's Helmet, His, uh, poem that he wrote is also on the site, very good, still holds up, I love it very much, but uh, it was weird, you know, being in that class with him again after so long and uh, you know me sort of like you know stalking him slowly over 20 years but so he has he has a very troubled life right you know he has addiction problems uh, he grew up in a creepy cult and he's written like three or four memoir books about you know all of that uh, so the man knows a thing or two about writing a memoir so uh, one of the things that was interesting was, um, oh, well, so the process, here's the process that he uses, uh, is uh, write a bunch of declarative statements about yourself. And for the sake of this class, it didn't have to be anything specific. It just had to be just just do a bunch of them. And, you know, I think the, the minimum he, he said was like 12. So great. So we start, you know, and it's all like, I am, you know, uh, a person who survived a creepy cult or whatever, or, and so, and then I, and then I wrote, I wrote a bunch of them, but the one that, uh, well, so what happens is, is you write a bunch of them and then you show your list to another person, which is already weird. Uh, Cause then, you know, it's really like, it's really weird to like open yourself up to a person who you don't know, who is right there in front of you. Like there is a certain comfort in writing a book about yourself and then just like, maybe somebody will read it, but I will probably never meet that person. And if I do meet that person, they will not be reading that book in front of me. They will, I will not have to stare at them while they learn about me. So, so the interesting thing is, um, uh, you, they, they go down the list and then they pick one, one thing, boiling your life down to one thing. And then you're going to write some stuff about it. And it's, it's real weird because, uh, one of the points that Bucky makes is he says, you know, what's interesting to you isn't necessarily interesting to your audience, right? Like you may not know what's interesting about you, uh, which kind of goes back to what I was trying to get out about stand-up comedy. And uh, so he he picked a thing. And so it's it's really weird to just find that one thing which is not the thing that maybe you wanted to write about and just dig in and just yeah just kind of like dig that hole and just learn and just you know it's because it's it's usually going to be some uncomfortable thing that you just maybe didn't really think about or you know thought about it on like a big level but then as soon as you get into it it just gets weird so uh so you know, Bucky talked about doing stand-up, you know, a couple of times. And I thought to myself, oh, I'll I'll ask my stand-up question of him. Because I knew, I, I mean, like I said, I had seen him do stand-up. But I didn't know he was still pursuing it. But, but I guess he had been. So I was like, oh, this will be great. So here's what I learned from him about doing stand-up. So he said that, you know, he really wanted to be Stephen Wright. He really wanted to be uh, Mitch Hedberg, you know, like a guy who just writes like a good, solid, you know, one-liner, two-liner joke. And uh, that, you know, worked okay. Uh, he he then, I remember him saying, he, he at, one, at one point tried to do like a character, like maybe he was going to be a little more Andy... Kaufman-ish or something. So he did this character of like a caveman 
telling a story and he's uh, and he, he went so far as to like get a costume of a caveman and then that that did not go over well at all and he was telling this story or whatever being a caveman and nobody cared and then he just did that Gilbert Gottfried move like he did in the uh, aristocrats where he just goes <sighs> all right I tell, you, I tell you what, I'll just tell you a story instead. And then he went and told the story and everybody really liked it. And that's what he learned was what they wanted him to do was tell stories and be honest about his own life and, um, you know, have some sort of truth in it rather than this, you know, hokey made up character. And then, but, but worse than that was that was not the end, right? It's not like he could just say like, oh, great, I'll tell stories you know, problem solved. Because he then went on to um, uh, tell stories that were really hard. I mean, like, they're, you know, stories like he's got one story about a guy who shot heroin into his neck and, and, um, and went too deep or something and then paralyzed his vocal cords so he could only whisper. And it's like, that's, that, like, an, like the audience, uh, with, you know, withdrew their love. They were like, oh, shit, too real, too real, too much. Dial it back. And, uh, and it's funny because, you know, Bucky's like, yeah, I, I tell that story to addicts and they all love it. So I just figured, uh, what the hell, they love it. I'll just do that on stage. And so it's, it's been like this weird, and this is the other thing too that he told me, is it's a lot of trial and error. And I love the line that he said, you don't learn anything by telling a joke that works. And that's, that's a great point because a lot of times, you know, you go to an open mic or something and you'll just see people and it's clearly material that they have worked on and figured out and they know where the jokes are and they know that it works in front of people. But so what, right? Like, you know, it's um, it's like I play Warframe all the time, you know, and you can level up new weapons or you can just, you know, use the one big gun that you have over and over again, but then you don't learn anything from it. You don't level up because that's the way, well, this is really, I'm really in the weeds now. I've lost everybody, but that's the way the game Warframe works, is that your gun has a level and then your person has a level. It's all about space ninjas, ladies and gentlemen. And if you if that doesn't make you interested in playing that game, I, I don't know what to tell you, right? Space ninjas, come on, space ninjas. How can you not love space ninjas? Anyway, uh, so clearly I am a child of the 80s. So then, uh, so then, uh, yes, so you don't learn anything from, uh, from, from a joke that you know that works. And that's how you level up. So, uh, it's, yeah, so then he went even further and he realized that maybe doing stand-up wasn't the format that worked for him, that maybe he should be working towards, like, a one-man show instead. And the, the real heartbreaking thing that he said was, you know, if you're not good at stand-up, then it may be that the thing you're good at isn't necessarily the thing you want to do. And that, my friend, is my career in a nutshell, right? Like, there's all kinds of things, you know, like, I wish I was an artist. I wish I could do... 3D animations. I wish I could do all these things, but my brain just doesn't work that way. I just, I can't put those building blocks together in any reasonable way to make something that, that works, that I could turn into a profession. And, you know, he's right. You know, I, so this is why I'm doing tech support now. Now, I don't hate tech support, but it's, I'm not passionate about it. I don't, you know, jump out of bed every morning and being like, yeah, let's solve some cases. Uh, so, no, uh, I, I am not, I am not doing that. So, um, 
Yeah, so Bucky has moved from San Francisco down to L.A. So if you're in the L.A. area, keep an eye open uh, and look out for the Bucky Sinister one-man show. Uh, he is he is uh, trying to get it up in October or November. Uh, no guarantees. Uh, he's still got a lot of work to do uh, because, you know, he can only work it out five minutes at a time, you know, in order to get stage time. And uh, so, yeah, so it's it's a long, slow process, but hopefully he'll do it. And boy, he told me what it's about. And it is heavy. I mean, it, I, I, I hope you can find the jokes in there. I mean, I have confidence from him and that guy is insanely talented. So uh, I, I, I don't I don't uh, I'm, I'm not uh, uh, afraid that he won't be able to make it funny. It's just a matter of, you know, will people get it? Um, but it should be really good, and it's and it's really interesting because, you know, it's it, it comes from uh, a really recent event, and so when he was talking about like, oh, I'm gonna do this one man show, it's just like, oh crap, dude, your whole life is like a one man. I mean, he could he could probably do ten one man shows with, you know, between all the crazy addicts and the addictions and the rehab. And, I mean, he just recently lost all his teeth. You know, that's a, that's a thing. All right. Well, all right. So anyway, so then, so then, uh, I, I, when they do the big comedy showcase uh, on Friday night, uh, and then uh, I see uh, a couple of the comics. Uh, so there's another group, uh, another Max Fun podcast is called Lady to the Lady. Late. Oh, sorry. Let me let me say that one more time. Lady to lady, and then so it's uh, three female comics and a lady female guest, and they uh, talk about you know whatever. Not necessarily lady things, but you know I'm sure that happens. And uh, and so, uh, but they're all stand up comics. So. Uh, I, they were eating lunch together and I walked up and I said, hey, can I ask you about, you know, uh, what, what it means to get better at stand-up comedy? And they said something that was similar to Bucky, which is, uh, and, and this is something that I may actually have been guilty of doing, right? Because like, you know, Chris Hardwick, uh, whenever you ask him about, oh, what's it mean to get better? He's like, oh, you got to find your voice, find your voice. That's, my, that's not bad, Chris Hardwick. Hey, everybody. I'm talking dead. I'm Chris Hardwick. You got to find your voice. Find your voice. And it's like, yeah, first of all, A, that doesn't mean anything, right? Like, what is what is that even, what does that even, A, what does that even mean? So, uh, that's a great way to win any argument. Just say that. Yeah, what does that even mean? Even if, like, the sky is blue. Yeah. So, and, and start it off. Oh, yeah. Start it off with that noise. Yeah. What does that even mean? Uh, so... Uh, but they said to me, uh, what you do when you start as a stand-up, not specifically me, but what people do uh, when they start as a stand-up is they kind of do an impression of what other people are doing, but it's on a much subtler level than like really, like there are a lot of people who just like flat out, you know, rip off somebody's like cadence or style or whatever but most of the time what people do is they're just like oh you know these are the topics that you know people talk about and these are the you know this is the sort of type of joke that people do and and what you know what they what the lady the lady ladies were saying is, is that that don't do that like you have to figure out what are the things that you like to talk about and the things that make you laugh and the things that 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 work and don't don't do what the other people are doing because that's the thing that they care about and they're passionate about and those topics and those things and so it's it's less about finding your voice but more about finding your interests and your own rhythm and your own you know, like, are you going to do one-liners or, you know, it's like all of that stuff together, I guess. All right. I guess Chris Hardwick is right, but he just doesn't, it needs to be a, a little bit more broken down than just that big umbrella of voice. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, David Bory was there. Uh, I'll spell you his last name. It's G B O R I E. David Bory, uh, and he's he's very funny. Uh, we uh, I had lunch with him, and he said uh, that the part of it is uh, you just have to get better at life. And I really like that. And he's like, you know, it just takes time to figure all of it out. And so if you could just, the longer you live, the more experiences that you have, the more things you have to talk about, you know, it all feeds into itself. So it all, it all works together. So I thought that was really great. I feel like I've got that question answered. Uh, I, and it was funny because I told the lady, the ladies, I was just like, well, thank you for, I feel like that was a great answer. Thank you very much. I will not be doing stand-up comedi- comedy anymore, but thank you just the same. I, I, it's nice to crack the code. Uh, so, okay. So, uh, finally, uh, there was one other uh, group that spoke uh, at, uh, at Max FunCon. They were the co-founders of the website Reductress. Uh, which is like if uh, The Onion was specifically focused at roasting uh, uh, Cosmo magazine, you know. Uh, And so it's all, the idea behind the name is that you have managed to take, you know, all of, you know, female concern and boil it down into just this shitty magazine about, you know, how to get the perfect man and how to apply makeup. And it's a great, it's a really funny uh, website. But uh, I I am such a weirdo that I feel like I need to ask questions at every single Q&A ever. Like if anybody gives me the chance, I feel like I have to say something. I have to ask a question. I don't know where this comes from. Um... I feel like maybe it's like, well, it's my only shot, you know, to get this information. So I'd better, you know, take it. Ah, Hamilton. Uh, I better take this chance because, you know, I'm never going to have it again. And so I can't lose it, uh, you know, or I'll just be kicking myself. Ah, oh, I should have asked them that. So, uh, so when they're show, they were showed a lot of like headlines and things from the website in this, you know, in this uh, slideshow that they were doing. And the stock photo that they had in it was really good because it was, you know, it's just like the onion, right? It's like really on point of like what the article is. And then I thought like, well, you know, stock photo is expensive, but so is hiring a photographer. And then like, how do they find such perfect photos for this? And so as I'm sitting there thinking of this, I'm thinking like, oh, I should also do like kind of a gag that like oh this is so woman focused and I'm you know the man who's going to like you know let me ask a question I need to be heard I I should talk and and then I'm sitting there thinking and I'm just like oh maybe this is a bad idea maybe I should not do this Uh, and then uh, they're like okay let's open the floor to questions and this guy on the other side of the room I don't even know who it was he said uh Hey, you know, uh, how do you get your photos for the? And I was like, oh, damn it, damn it, man took my question. Um, and and she was like, oh, it's a man. Okay, uh, I guess so. Uh, and then and so I was like, okay, I'm back in. I'm I, I, I'm I'm in. It's like if she's gonna call him out on being a man, then I get to do my joke about how I'm a man. So then she she uh, she had another. Uh, a, a woman asked a question and then I rose my hand and uh, I said um, hi I'm a straight white male who came late to this show but I still feel like my voice needs to be heard and then the question I asked and that got a laugh so I was like yay right yeah. but then uh, the question I asked is uh, based on one of the things that they said in their presentation was that they really want to like their like their their pie in the sky big goal is they want to be like the Oprah of comedy or something. It was it was better phrased than that, but that was that was Oprah was definitely in there, and so uh, it was. Uh, so I said, uh, you know, what is the most Oprah like thing you could do? Uh, 
and still sort of like retain this, you know, idea of what you were trying to do and not like, you know, violate your initial premise. And they were like, oh, that's a really good question. And I just yell, I know. Uh, that made me laugh. Um, but uh, so it was interesting because the question that I intended was um, what's, you know, like, like how can you mock Oprah in a way? Uh, because, you know, Oprah does like these big stadium tours and like, you know, she imparts her wisdom on you, you know, and all this bullshit. Uh, you know, it, it, it is the cult of Oprah. Uh, if you're looking for a creepy cult. But the way they took the question uh, was honestly like how can we how can we legitimately be like Oprah? How can we legitimately like do good in the world? And uh, they were they talked about how you know they were trying to get you know shine a light on like or or, or just like, uh, get women, you know, more into comedy and, you know, more writing jobs. And, and, you know, one of the things that she said that was really interesting was, uh, if, you know, you talk about, especially women of, of color, uh, there's like, you know, everybody points you to like three or four different people when you're like, oh, we should get, uh, uh women of color on this staff. Who do we get? And then everybody points to those three or four people and they're all busy because, you know, that's something that people would like. And, and if you're talented, they would like to have you. But hopefully they're not going to just hire you because of your ethnicity. They're going to hire you actually because you're good. Uh, and if you're good uh, and, and because there are maybe not as many, you know, opportunities or or just to get your foot in the door or whatever, then, you know, it becomes a much more exclusive club. But anyway, uh, so that was their big goal for all of that. Okay, well, this is my day off. Uh, I am, uh, I'm going to go, I think I'm going to go to the, oh, I'm going to have lunch, I'm going to go to the gym. I was thinking about seeing Wonder Woman, but God, I'm, the day's already half over. Ah, it's limited time. I should also mention the uh, songwriting class that I took. <clears throat> this was interesting because... I had taken the songwriting class previously. Uh, a lot of the classes at Max FunCon, they are, you know, mishmashes of stuff. Like, some of them are performance classes, but they're also a lot of, like, tea drinking and or tea sampling and, and tea education and, and cooking classes and all this stuff. And I've done all of that already, actually. Uh, I've, I've actually been on a couple of tea education classes, and... Uh, and I have taken some cooking. I've made my own cooking videos, you know, so I... I looked at what they had, and I was like, okay, you know what? I had such a great time doing the songwriting class last year. I'm going to do it again. Uh, what I did not uh, foresee is that, um, you know, as they did last year, they split us up into groups to form our own, quote-unquote, bands, and then we would do a thing. And um, I was not... Last time, I don't know... Well, certainly there was nobody in our group that had no musical training, right? Like, and I... by training I mean farted around on a guitar so we had in our group we had four people we had two people who had no formal education one of them had just started playing an instrument like three weeks before so his um, dexterity uh, with it was not great and then there was me and then there was a woman who had gotten her like her master's degree in like music Com composition or something I don't know it wasn't her master's but it was a, a it was a degree in music let's say that so um we were really trying to figure out like okay we've got two people it was really interesting too is because the John Roderick from the long winters thank you for the use of your theme song it's a departure off the album putting the days to bed uh it is um, it, it, you know, he, he came around and he, he dis assigned roles to each person. He's like, okay, you're going to be the rhythm section. You're going to be the, um, the chords section and you're going to be the little, um, you know, musical spice on top section. Well, he gave the rhythm section and the chords section to the two non-musicians. I became the singer of all things and... 
the music uh, major uh, was the spice on top. So, uh, we spent the majority of the of the first hour trying to figure out what is a, a thing we could do with the sort of limited musical abilities that we have. And um, it took a while for the music major to figure that out. Uh, she, like, we would kept throwing out ideas and she was like, no, no. And it's like, come on now, give me a little, try, like, we got, we got limited resources here. Let's try and figure this out. So she did come around, though. She actually had a really amazing idea, which is one of the stumbling blocks that we were having was we needed everybody to be in sync. And so she became the conductor. And so she became part of the rhythm section. So she, what she was doing is she didn't have an instrument. So she would just keep like a metronome tap on the table uh, and I'll, you know what? I'll put this song, I'll put our song at the end of this, just like I did last time, and you can hear what it is. So that thunk, thunk, thunk that's going on, that's her just hitting her hand on the table, and it worked. It was such a simple, simple idea, and it just worked perfectly. Another really good, simple idea that I'm kicking myself that I didn't come up with was um, John Roderick uh, came over and he saw the guy who who the, had been playing the ukulele for three weeks, struggling with it a little bit. And he was like, oh, let me show you something. And then he just took it and then tuned it down to an open chord. So that basically what that means is if you just play all four strings without your hand on the frets, it plays a chord. And then you can just lay your finger across all four strings and then just move it up and down and you're playing a chord as opposed to like these crazy complex chord shapes, you know, that, you know, you have to do if you're playing it in a traditional tuning. And I'm kicking myself because, and I don't remember if I said this on last year's podcast, but when I came into the room uh, last year um, and I was packing up my gear, I had a crappy acoustic guitar that I had brought with me, and John Roderick was playing it in the corner. And what he had done is done it in an open tuning and was just playing away, and it sounded great. And I'm kicking myself because, of course, that's what I should have done, was just like, right, this is what I learned last year, and I have totally forgot it for this year. So anyway. Um, oh, I should also mention that John Roderick... Um, really is embracing one of the tenets of of what he is trying to teach to us, which is just, you know, just don't be precious with the with the writing, right? Just sit down and do it. Give yourself a timetable and just do it. And he said that he wrote 14 songs in a day and six of them were pretty good. And that's like, you know, he said he played it for the record label. The record label loved it. He was like, he didn't tell him he'd written them all in like half an hour a piece. And he was just like, this is so easy. This is the way you do it, right? Just don't be precious. And then I asked him about playing on Amy or, or uh, songwriting with Amy Mann on Amy Mann's latest album. And he was like, uh, yeah, it wasn't so much songwriting together as it was just me like sending her a song and then her changing big parts of it. But he says he still is, you know, very happy with how it turns out. So go check out uh, Amy Mann's latest album. Don't know what it's called. Uh, oh, also, uh, I should, I'm sorry, I forgot. Uh, so to wrap this all up, um, John Hodgman kept his promise. And at 9 o'clock, um, he, at 9 o'clock a.m. on the Sunday, he came back to the fire pit to play the Welcome Back Cotter theme song with him and John, John Roderick. And they did it. And I was stunned as to how many people knew the lyric. Because there is a part that the audience sings. Um, you know, he, uh, Hodgman says, you know, who thought they need you? Who they thought they need you? You know, the audience does this sort of call and response thing. And so many people knew it. We didn't have that many people there. We had maybe, you know, 20, 25 people there. It was amazing. So I recorded a video of it. 
Um, I think the video to see it, uh, uh, the audio is not great, but to see it and to, it really gives you a good sense of what it, how just amazingly cool it is at Max Fun Con because all of these people, they sang together. There was zero rehearsal for this. Hodgman sort of threw this together on the fly. He gave the lyrics, obviously, I mean, obviously John Roderick had, you know, grew up with the show. He knew the theme song. It wasn't like the first time he ever heard it. But it's not like any of it was practiced. And so uh, watch the video because I really like the way the video turns out uh, because um, I, I move around a little bit. To, and then eventually at the end, you get to see all the crowd and how many people showed up. Uh, and it wasn't even an event that was on the schedule. It was something he mentioned at the beginning, just sort of casually. And it was just it was just a beautiful moment. So uh, I'm going to put that up on the, my Twitter, the Thank Proj, at Thank Proj, that's P-R-O-J. Uh, that's the Thankful Project Twitter account. I'm going to throw it up there. Uh, make sure to check it out because it's beautiful. Eh, it's a beautiful video. From me, from the glory that is Max FunCon, Adult Nerd Camp, and the music of Bright Brown. Let's do this one more time. Till then! Yeah. Uh-huh.